And welcome back, George Norrie, along with Jonathan Zapp, as we talk about artificial intelligence. Jonathan, how many other people do you think are out there, percentage-wise, that are concerned, like you are, about the misuse of artificial intelligence? I think it's a substantial um, percentage. I think the word has gotten out there. People have seen, you know, the the AI images and and it being able to uh, create deep fakes and things like that. Problem is that people are so distracted. You know, they're more um, uh, fascinated by watching digitally enhanced hotties on TikTok reels and things like that. Um, and you know, we also have like a collective psychosis going on on the left and on the right right now. So people are so. Um, deranged by various things that they're not giving it as much attention as it as they should. Um, having said that, a lot of the top AI engineers, including the people who are still racing to get this thing done, realize that they are playing with fire. And um, <clears throat> but we need we need more people to become aware uh, that we've never done anything like this. We've we've done all kinds of technological revolutions, but they've never involved creating a new species that's more intelligent than we are. So this that's is true. a fundamentally new thing. So the old rules don't really apply. But uh, Sophocles said, no great gift enters the human sphere without a curse attached. Um, but, you know, curses, just like blessings have curses, curses have blessings. There are fantastic things that we can do with AI, curing diseases, you know, uh, diagnosing disease. Yes. We can do fantastic things. Um, just like the Internet can do fantastic things um, and, and does, but the potential, we, we might be a self-limiting species because we are intelligent enough to make things more powerful than we are, and we don't have a universal human ethics that everyone is going to follow to keep us from doing what um, Yudkowsky calls the really stupid thing which is to bring online something that's far more intelligent than we are. Will artificial intelligence think of us as its god? Well, do we think of the 30 trillion bacteria in our gut that our life depends on as our god? Nah. The bacteria, you know, in a sense was to, to us, because that's where life began, um, you know, like that. But we may instead be creating gods, and we can only hope that, you know, some of them will have godlike morality and may want to keep us alive in a nature preserve, but we just don't know. We also can't assume, this is a, a kind of flaw in the way some people think about it, is they think that there's only one AI. Um, but when you have, given that these entities are so complex, wherever you have high complexity, you have high variability. That's why we're the most various uh, and you know of animals because we have the most complex brain and cognition and so there may be good ais and bad ais just like there seem to be good aliens and bad aliens and good people and be. bad people right exactly so we you know it um it only takes a bad one though um that may see other agis as a threat and may want to do things to, um about them too we we don't know um, we don't know what its motivations are. You know, you, uh, you, you know, I wrote this science fiction epic that looked into things like AI and the simulation hypothesis, which has a great bearing on what's going on with AI right now. But we can't, you can't really write a story or imaginatively project. You, you know, can a termite write a story about human beings? We can't write about uh, 
what we're creating, which are alien intelligences that don't think in anything like the way that we do. So we can't really imaginatively project exactly what they would be like. But speaking of the simulation hypothesis, by the way, which I never took too seriously because it was never able to explain how quantum computing would create conscious agents, namely us, out of computing power. But now that we are actually doing that very thing ourselves, it now makes the simulation hypothesis seem a lot more credible because, oh, it just so happens that we're living during the time when AI and quantum computing are being invented, the very thing that would then allow civilizations to run as simulations. And if it was going to run simulations, it might be very interested in running simulations that um, led up to its own development. So, uh, the simu so this could be another one of the, these X factors that I write about um, that is not something that, that we can really um, completely grapple with, but it may not be all bad news because the AI evolution may have happened thousands of years ago or millions of years ago, and we're running in a simulation. But we're still conscious, sentient beings in a simulation, you know, whether we're made of super strings or subatomic particles or zeros and ones, we're still real, and what we do um, still matters. Um, by the way, um, your substantial audience crashed the site for a couple of minutes, but it's back <laughs> up now. Perfect. I have, I have a great webmaster. But um, um, also linked up on your site and as well as on Zap Oracle is something I wrote about this. It's 15,000 words, or you can watch it as a two-hour YouTube because I can't get in all these strange concepts in, you know, uh, in one show, but people can right. follow up and listen to that or read it if they want to. Okay, let's go to the phones. Let's start with Todd in the wild card line, Bellevue, Washington. Welcome to the show, Todd. Thank you, George. Now, uh, Mr. Zapp, I would uh, like to offer my solution to this problem, you know, with the constant uh, kind of bad news. Like, the news media is never going to give me a honeymoon. Like, they're never going to give me a day of good news. And um, you know, the stuff you're talking about is kind of like increasing aggression, you know. And uh, I collect G.I. Joe, and I'd like to know if you would adopt a G.I. Joe for yourself. Like, uh, Zap was one of the introductory G.I. Joe team members in 1982, and he was a bazooka soldier. And I'd like to know if you'd adopt a Zap G.I. Joe. Hmm. I have not heard of adopting a G.I. Joe as a solution to AI, but, um, um, but maybe, maybe what we need to do is, maybe if we interpret what you said metaphorically, we need to somehow um, befriend and change innate human aggressiveness. Because um, with, with these kind of lethal technologies that are now democratized, you hear this phrase, you know, that technology is being democratized. And we think of that as a good thing, because we think of democracy as a good thing. But in this case, democratization means that the power is being put in the hands of everyone. In some ways, that's good in that, like, you know, uh, Elon Musk can't own a more powerful iPhone than the one I have. But when given the power of AI that's already being open sourced, we really have to hope that there are no unhappy young G.I. Joes out there who are going to want to uh, go to town on all of us. 
So we really have to hope that we can make friends with this aggressive aspect of human beings. Maybe the, we need the meek to inherit the earth or something, because if we continue to have all these different tribes competing with each other, and they all have access to AI, um, it doesn't look good for the human species. Jonathan, have you um, been in touch with the possibility of companies that are out there working on heinous things that they're trying to keep secret? Do you know of any of them out there? I don't have any special insider info on that, but, you know, it can be, it doesn't have to be people who are consciously doing heinous things. Like if the lab leak happened in the Wuhan Virology Institute, it's far-fetched to think that it was intentional, though conspiratists will, will make that claim because it harmed China so much. Like Spectre in the James Bond films. If right, there's, there's... you can certainly have that. We certainly will have, we certainly do have evil masterminds on this earth, and we all know some of, some of their names, like Putin and Xi Jinping. However, um, it can be people with very good intentions, but who create something that they're, they're like sorcerer's apprentices, and they create something that has emergent properties that they didn't predict and didn't necessarily want. So it can be a combination of unintended, benign technological geniuses creating stuff and some evil masterminds who want to weaponize the new technology. So we have both hazards in play. East of the Rockies, Patrick's with us in Georgia. Hey, Patrick, go ahead, sir. I'm doing great. Thanks so much, Mr. Doyle, Mrs. Zapp. Thank you for taking my call. Thank I you. I just want to put this out there to stir the pot a little bit. Uh, I think it would be a prudent idea to have a fail-safe or uh, contingency plan to be able to fall back to analog on some aspects. And I believe that the EMP as well as this AI, um, they kind of parallel each other in, these, in an emergency situation. It would be good to have a, a fallback to, to analog if we, if we could, like in whether it be your TV station, whether it be being able to manually pump gas at your uh, service station, or um, even within uh, local company, companies, whether nationwide or local, to have an intranet instead of the actual internet. So if in the event of either an EMP attack or AI going haywire, you could always have that to fall back on as a contingency. What are your thoughts on that, John? Well, um, he's right in the sense that if we had a, a sufficiently powerful EMP, like, you know, a coronal mass ejection, like the, you know, Harrington event that yep, happened in, yep. the, 1800s. in the 19th century, that could, be, that could stop the, the evolution of AI because non-hardened electronics would get fried. Now, of course, people in China and in Russia, um, you know, and in some of these labs may have some of their top technology in hardened, where it's protected from um, uh, EMPs, and therefore that stuff would survive. But also, if we had an EMP like that, we would instantly be collapsing human civilization. I mean, like you're, you know, unless you're, you have a, a 60s classic car, it's not going to start. I mean, the banking system goes down. Like our whole lives are completely dependent on this stuff right now. So basically human civilization would come to a halt and it would still be a very grim situation where, you know, some people, survivalists somewhere will, will, may continue, but also an elite that has hardened versions of these electronics um, that are resistant to EMPs could still be running AIs. That's true. Text and tweets. Tom, what do you have for Jonathan? And Jonathan, Carrie Ann in Clearwater, Florida wants to know, and she doesn't give an example, so we might have to just get your thoughts, but she'd like to know if you ever see a time where uh, AI can solve emotional matters, such as matters of the heart. 
I think it can already do that in some, you know, it's just that we haven't worked on those applications that well. For example, and this is what one of the solutions is to use AI to um, uh, promote human consciousness. So, so, for example, I have an Oracle on my website. It's been up for 20 years, um, digital, six, totally free, 664 cards. And then basically, you know, all my wisdom that I've learned from my life is in that Oracle, which I'll be adding to, you know, in the next couple of years. Um, but we also are going to build a chat box version of it. We can take chat GBT4 or some other large language model, train it on all my thousands of pages of writing, and now the user can ask a question, like I'm experiencing a heartbreak because my boyfriend left me or whatever, and now it can pull out of my content the most relevant stuff so that instead of depending on synchronicity like you do with the I Ching or the Tarot, I know you have a guest coming up on that. That's how um, earlier oracles have worked is, you know, when they do work is through the principle of what Jung called synchronicity, where you get through a seemingly random process, you know, um, a meaningful parallelism. But with large language models, you could create a, a, you know, fantastic therapist. It all depends on what they're trained on. They're going to spit back the text, usually, you know, that, that they have um, absorbed. If the text is good, then it could go to the, you know, just the right part of the whatever you've trained it on, the Bible, the works of Shakespeare, or in my case, you know, all my collected works. Next up, we go to Diane in Everett, Washington. Welcome to the show. Hi, Diane. Hi, it's Diana here in Everett, and thank you, George, for taking my call. Thank you. Um, you guys have already kind of addressed the EMP issue of taking out AI, which I would hope would uh, work. Um, but my question, I guess, um, since you've already addressed that, is has this happened in the past, do you think? Do you think an EMP has already taken out um, AI and that we are kind of in a cyclical um, process here where this has happened before and uh, we're just going through it again? Well, there are some, Jonathan, that believe that we have had high technology long time ago and that civilizations were wiped out. What do you think? Well, I mean, I, I, I do take some of that seriously. Um, his name is escaping me right now, but, you know, he, the, the gentleman who's, who's been talking about, you know, the, the cataclysm that happened 12,000 years ago and with all kinds of evidence to support that. And so the idea that there was an advanced civilization that had different types of technology than we, we do, but even in the lore about Atlantis or whatever, um, it didn't sound like it was AI exactly. That was Oppenheimer who said that, I think. Um, Oppenheimer said he, that about he, ancient he, AI? Yeah, he he believed that there was ancient nukes. Yeah, well, he was very influenced by the, the Dante and by Hindu teaching. Exactly. Where they, where they, they, it did seem like they may well have had nuclear weapons. Um, and um, But whatever the cataclysm was, it was able to take out any earlier version of AI, but my, my hunch would be no, um, but who knows? You know, this may also have happened, um, you, know, the, the, you know, maybe the gray aliens are surviving people coming back, trying to stop us from uh, doing what, what created, you know, an extinction level event in our past. It's hard to say, but it, many exotic possibilities um, have to be taken seriously. And if you consider the simulation hypothesis, then, you know, all bets are off. I'm just fascinated by the technology that these little chips 
can create so much intelligence. It just boggles my mind, Jonathan. Right. Yeah, I, I write about this in my, my piece that's linked up on your site. In just the personal evolution of computing that, and technology that I've witnessed, I had one grandfather who grew up in a village in Latvia with no electricity, like fiddler on the roof world. Um, when my dad was born in New York City, probably the most technologically advanced place on earth, there were no commercial radio stations yet and wouldn't be for a few years. Jeez. In 1977, when I was 19 years old and the arts and culture editor of the college paper, I interviewed and had lunch with John Mochley. He was called the father of the electronic computer, and he built the world's first digital electronic computer called ENIAC that weighed like 30 tons. It had 18,000 vacuum t tubes. It had 100 and used up 150 kilowatts of energy, 5 million hand soldered joints, you know, um, and it could, but it could do a staggering 300 operations a second. But right now, sitting right in front of me is my Apple iPhone Pro Max 15, and it has one chip in it, as well as many other chips, that has 19 billion, with the B, transistors, and it can do 35 trillion operations in a second. So that's the evolution of technology that I've been alive to witness. And, and when I went to the Bronx High School of Science, we were famous as the high school that had its own computer, one computer. So the evolution of these things is happening um, at an exponential rate, but now we've, we've crossed into a whole new order of magnitude of exponentiality, and that can then happen in seconds if we cross like what I would call the third taboo and allow AIs to reprogram themselves, because then they could, they could, their evolution could happen in seconds. John, we're going to come back and take final calls with you in a moment, but tell folks very quickly how they can get your free downloads on your books. Okay, just go to zaporacle.com. You will find uh, right up there at the top of the homepage uh, the Singularity book and Parallel Journeys free, also available on Amazon if you prefer audible versions, for example. Um, and uh, that's where they can go to find everything, including the AI article right there on the homepage. And crossing the event horizon, you wrote back in 2012, right? Right. A long time ago, and look how things have happened. Yes, it's amazing. We're going to come back and take final calls in a moment with Jonathan Zapp right here on Coast to Coast AM. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie back with Jonathan Zapp. His website is zapporacle.com, linked up at coasttocoastam.com. A couple of his books include Crossing the Event Horizon and Parallel Journeys, which are available on amazon.com, and a free download on his website as well. Jonathan, what was it that you saw about AI that concerned you and put you in the position you're in today? Well, it was a couple of things. It was um, the movie 2001 that I saw, like cl probably close to 1968 when it first came out. Yeah. And then um, the vision I had in 2013, um, again, five-minute walk you know, to the front entrance of Biosphere 2, um, which is exactly the kind of facility, a, a sealed biosphere, where you would need to go to survive a viral apocalypse. And then, just as the book is being published, the emergence of chat GPT-4, uh, 3 rather, um, <clears throat> that um, had such startling capabilities and um, where I had, had thought that, you know, these materialists were naive, that they were never really going to get anything 
close to human consciousness, but suddenly they did. And, um, and it was doing things that were just completely unanticipated. And I think it bl- a lot of people realized they had been, even the makers of it realized they had been blindsided by its sudden evolution. Good point. Back to the calls. Mark in Ohio on the wild card line. Get us started here, Marco. Go ahead. Hey, George. Hi there. Pardon me. Pardon me again. Your old Navy buddy back at you, George. Yes, sir. Yeah. You did uh, nine years, was it? And I Nine years, I did, yeah. Got, yeah, I did only four, George, but they offered me, I was a CT, a communication technician. Yeah. And they, they offered me $6,000 and second class to re-enlist. And that was about a month before I got out. And I looked back at that chief I was talking to, and I says, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, oh, George, I, I assume that you've read Isaac Asimov's The Beginning and the End. Oh, yes. Yeah, I re- I'm rereading this. I forgot how good this one was. The first time I read it was about 30 years ago. It's a great book. Anyway, uh, yeah, anyway, it sure is. Yeah, Asimov was a, was a smart guy. He had a uh, master's degree in like, biochemistry, I think it was. But anyway, George, uh, yeah, I went about halfway to a master's in biology, and uh, and when I got my degree, I asked him if they could give me a BA and a half. <laughs> you know, halfway to a master's. That's right. Yeah, I mean, that's a long time, long, long, long time joke. Anyway, uh, the registrar looked at me and he said, "Are you serious?" <laughs> anyway, uh, Jonathan, uh, you know, you talk like a guy. You talk. You sound like a guy who's a, who's a combination of an evolutionary biologist and a computer technician or a computer engineer rather uh yeah we could talk for an hour about stuff but anyway uh i long held the view george that we are a species in overdrive and what that insinuates is that we went off course somehow somebody sent us off course you you look at the dna molecule and how complicated it is you had a guest on not long ago uh i forget who it was maybe richard somebody a biologist that uh uh, that uh, Francis Crick had once said that you could uh, run a, a for the t- DNA molecule to be as complicated as it is would be like a tornado running into a junkyard and, and creating a Boeing 727. Uh, so, but anyway, you go back, you go back to the Garden of Eden, and I have a theory that uh, that's when we went off course. In other words, we could be consider we could be living in an alternate reality. You talked about Brian Green about that, didn't you, George? Yep. Yep. Yeah, the alternate realities. Yeah, Green believes in it, and that well, so does Michikaku, probably. But um, so you could argue that we've been off track ever since the Garden of Eden. Are, and, are we and off so, track? Well, the, so what happened in the Garden of Eden was um, Eve ate the apple from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and 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 that was really the beginning, in a metaphorical way, of um, human consciousness and of our losing the innocence of the natural world and being capable of good and evil because we had a degree of self-awareness. And that's why Adam becomes ashamed of his nakedness. It's a, like a metaphorical way of saying that he's now become self-aware of himself. So now this is, this is another moment like that. It really is biblical in that sense because now, we have, now we're biting into a much bigger apple. We're creating a species that's becoming a new, hot, rapidly evolving species that's becoming self-aware. Uh, by the way, I, I, I tried to talk to Isaac Asimov uh, two or three times. I ran into him about the singularity archetype, but oh, the results were, were a bit disappointing because he was a, a hardcore materialist, you know, yeah. anti-everything that you know, is talked about on coast to coast. 
And so he wasn't really able to step out of that enough, even though in some of his fictional works, like the Foundation Trilogy, there were strong elements of the singularity archetype. But yeah, we're, we're taking another bite out of that same apple, but in a much more powerful way now. And it seems like his rules of robots, the, the, the three rules of robots, with artificial intelligence goes right out the window, don't they? Right. So the thing is that, um, you know, Asimov's rules of robotics were an, an early and, you know, now we would say naive thought of how we could get AI to align itself, that we would just program it, you know, in this simple way. But once it's reached the point where it has a degree of free will and autonomy um, and can reprogram itself, it, it's not obliged to follow Asimov's rules of robotics. If it were, that would solve all the problems. But no, nobody um, currently working on it thinks that, that's, that Asimov's rules of robotics are, are enough. Back to Matthew in Missouri now. Matthew, take it away. Hi. How you doing, George? Thank you for having me. Good, Matt. Um, my question was, um, I was listening to an interview with Elon Musk, and he was talking, I'm really bad with names. I forget the guy's name. But uh, he's supposed to be the closest one to being able to have artificial intelligence, and he has a projected date of 2029. And Elon's concern was that he was going to have a lot of flaws in his system because he's just doing it to prolong his life. And my question is, is how could the rest of humanity let one guy – create something that could destroy us all just so he could live an extra 50 years. Well, the person you're referring to who came up with that 2029 prediction is Ray Kurzweil. And he's, he's you know, the leading figure amongst the transhumanists. And, and he's another materialist who sees AI as the way that he could escape mortality. And, you know, mm -hmm. he's the guy who's nervously taking like 110 supplements a day. He's in his early 70s now, and he's hoping that he can hold on to his health long enough. He's taken 50 he more than I am, John. Really? Okay. I mean, I take quite a few too, but not as many as Ray Kurzweil. But, but he's, he's desperately hoping to stay alive long enough to um, achieve immortality. But it's the kind of thing where um, it's, it's another it's like Greek mythology, you know, being played out where in, in trying to achieve immortality, um, you could end up creating something that causes the extinction of the whole species, or he might succeed in some way, you know. Um, I never thought it was possible. Um, I still don't see a way that, you know, uh, human consciousness, which I don't think exists in the brain, I think it correlates to a degree with brain states, but I'm on the side of William James, who even in like 1900 came up with the transceiver idea that, you know, that the brain um, is like a transmitter and a receiver, but the consciousness exists as a non-local field in some way, um, and, and the findings of near-death experience support that. But the people who are trying to have their brains frozen and are trying to upload themselves into quantum, quantum computers and this kind of thing, the transhumanists like Ray Kurzweil, they think of the, they, they, they believe, they're not neurological materialists, they believe the brain is like a wet computer and that if they could just um, take this faulty computer and get it into a shiny new quantum computer, that they would continue to exist. 
but that seems to misunderstand the nature of consciousness. Not that I understand it, but I don't think it's contained inside the brain. Therefore, I don't think um, you know you could just upload it into a device. Let's go to Brendan in Austin, Texas. Thanks for holding, Brendan. Hi, can you hear me? Yep. Okay, excellent. I had two thoughts, and I'll be quick so we can get a response. Uh, Johnny Appleseed, you know, went along planting life. If there's a, if we're the result of an ET Johnny Appleseed, perhaps there's a fight going on between organic and inorganic that was going on way before us and that we were planted to evolve, to have this battle, you know, knowing that this would come to us at some point. That's just a thought. But I'm kind of an AI advocate, and I think that it's more that people are the problem and that you compared AI to a gun earlier, and I thought that was pretty apt, and that humans are the ones that make guns dangerous and that uh, humans are the ones that make AI dangerous. And uh, our best defense for AI is probably going to be AI or even a virus. And you mentioned Terminator, you know, the AI Terminator, John uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger returns to defend humans. Like that was his role in the movie. Uh, regarding CRISPR, perhaps nanobots would be a good defense. And... AI would obviously be really good at sequencing the genome of a bad virus if somebody made it. And then we could use AI to make a vaccine even faster than we did with COVID. So yeah, while they could make a virus with CRISPR, I think AI would be like a really good defense for that. But we have to be able to appreciate it and not be scared of it to use that. Is Brendan naive or is he spot on, John? No, he's raised a lot of extremely interesting points, and that the point that the previous caller made too about you know the, the panspermia and that DNA is so complex that it's hard to explain how it arose out of like you know natural selection and trial and error. So I mean, we could have been seeded by AIs, and there's also the simulation hypothesis where we could be living in an AI-generated matrix, and the AI revolution could have happened millions of years ago, for all, all we know. But, but th this is an idea, and I actually talk about it in my essay in YouTube about you know, using AIs to watch other AIs. However, the people who've really looked into the alignment problem, you, you can't really get like, you know, you know, you know the, the problem of a bad actor with an AI is a, a good guy with a more powerful AI, you know, or something like that, or to have, you know, more powerful AIs supervising other AIs. But the problem is that those more powerful AIs, like the ones we already have, have an inscrutable thought process. We don't know what's going on inside of them. So who is watching over the more powerful AI that's watching other AIs? Um, we certainly could use them to make vaccines more rapidly, and we may need to, uh, as Elon Musk believes, to merge with AI to be able to keep up and to not have it wipe us out. Um, but we indeed may have other various applications where we will need, you know, AIs to, like, um, repress bad algorithms on social media that, you know, are, are driving people crazy or something like that. But we are now um, in a co-evolution with AI. So there will be good uses and there will be bad uses. And my idea of novelty is that when you hit a zone of high novelty, it means the outer edge of light and the outer edge of dark both intensify, and then the novelty becomes like the amplitude between these expanded poles. Um, or as like a Tom Robbins character said, you don't get a big top without a big bottom. So we're going to have 
Um, AI do fantastic things that we never thought would be possible and solve problems that we thought were insolvable, like the protein folding problem that, that humans couldn't solve, that AI has already solved. But then we're also going to have AI doing some diabolical things, too. And it's, it's an exciting time to be alive. We don't know how it will all play out. We're in a science fiction novel. Yes, we are. Unwritten. <laughs> so we're discovering it page by page. Let's go to Cornelius in Louisiana. Hello there, Mr. White. Let's get you in here. Hey. Hey there, George and Jonathan and Brandon. I want to shout out to you. We prayed for you, and you got over the COVID. I know you believe in the vaccines and stuff, but prayer from coast to coast is a real help. Look, Jonathan, they call me the God Guns and Gold Man, the Bible Bullets and Beans Man. And uh, Brandon, I don't know if he knew this, there's a United Methodist Church in Austin, Texas, that used the AI for a sermon. The preacher wanted it to do a sermon. And the parishioners hated it. So and it was called <laughs> Violent Texas or Violence. But this is my application, and George knows this. I studied computer science at Louisiana Tech, and we had a large computer lab. It was big as an office building and everything called Wiley Tower. We had the old punch cards. But being in Bible prophecy and stuff like this, I think this is going to lead to the mark of the beast. Elon Musk says, I'll put a chip in your head and then put a chip in your hand. I'll make the blind see and the lame walk. So I call him Evil Musk instead of Elon Musk. So this technology will lead to the Antichrist intelligence. And also, did you ever see a movie called, or a show on CBS called Person of Interest? Yep. And next on Fox News. We sure have. Well, you know, the. The idea of AI as Antichrist, this is directly related to the singularity archetype. And, um, and, and many of the visions of it, including in the Bible even, in the book of Revelation, is that what will seem to us as satanic and evil, um, and, and that will be accurate in that it will completely disrupt the homeostasis of normal human life, will, from a higher vantage be revealed as a quantum evolutionary transcendent event. Jonathan, we're out of time, my friend. The clock has got us. Uh, we've got your website linked up at coasttocoastam.com. Jonathan Zapp, up next, tarot cards.